Okay, we have one more week before Advent, so I want to start a revolution. I've been doing this for two years now, and it's a great way to witness to Christmas and also Advent. You may be like me. Already, all the Christmas decorations are up. Definitely, as soon as Thanksgiving is over in the United States, everyone puts up their Christmas tree and their Christmas lights, and we have radio stations playing Christmas music incessantly. So much so that by the time Christmas arrives on December 25th, we're all so fed up and tired that we can't wait to take all that stuff down. When in fact, Christmas should begin on December 25th. We should be putting up our Christmas tree and lights and decorations on December 24th and then celebrate Christmas for the next 12 days at least. If you want to be real hardcore, the Christmas season goes until the Feast of the Baptism of Our Lord, which is the Sunday after the Feast of the Epiphany. But that may be a bit drastic for some of you, so I propose a compromise. Roll out your decorating over the four weeks of Advent. For example, put up some lights and decorations the first Sunday of Advent. Then on the second Sunday, put up the tree. On the third Sunday, put up your nativity. You may have to take your tree down soon after Christmas, but keep the lights up until the Feast of the Baptism. Now, here's the real revolution, what I've been doing for two years. Buy a string of purple lights and a string of pink lights and a string of white lights. Hang them all up, but give yourself the ability to plug them in separately. So on the first, second, and fourth weeks of Advent, you have the purple lights. On the third week of Advent, you'll have pink lights. And on Christmas Eve, turn on your white lights, which you'll have until the end of the season. If you want to witness to your faith, if you want to do something different and simple this Advent and Christmas season, do the Advent Christmas Light Challenge. And then, let me know how it goes. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, good and happy people. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. As you already know, this show is available for streaming or download online at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. But the Salt and Light Hour is also heard over the airwaves thanks to our partners in the United States. If you're listening on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, or on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, on the Lamb Radio Network, or on Holy Family Radio in Northeastern Ohio, or on the Barriga Radio Network, in Northern Michigan, thank you for your support. I also want to publicly thank all these networks for their support because they, like us, also rely on your support. I'd like to make a special plea today asking you to please support these radio networks if you like what they do. Catholic broadcasting is very important work, but it costs money. Keep us in your prayers, and if you can, consider us when you're making your charitable contributions. If you like the Salt and Light Hour, please consider that you're listening to this program for free, and without your support, this program cannot exist. So please write to us and tell us what we can do to improve. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And if you can, please consider sending us a small donation to help us continue bringing you the best that Salt and Light can offer. Write to us for a chance to win music and books from our featured artists and authors, radio at saltandlighttv.org. Send your comments to us via Facebook or contact me directly via Facebook or Twitter. Just look for Deacon Pedro. I'm very excited about our show today. First off, 
After our news and Saint of the Week, Danny Torquia will be here to tell us why there's no such thing as bad publicity. This is invaluable advice for anyone working in the church. That's in about 20 minutes. In our second half hour, we'll be speaking with Chesterton expert Dale Alquist. Some of you will remember an interview I did with Dale a few years ago. He has just published a new book on apologetics titled All Roads, Roman Catholic Apologetics. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with Dale Alquist. That's in about half an hour. And after... Singer-songwriter Rebecca Rubion returns as our featured artist. Now, like I said in the opening commentary, I hate to play Christmas music before Christmas. It's not even Advent yet. But Rebecca has a new Christmas album, and it's not every year that we have new Christmas albums by Catholics. So we're going to make an exception. I hope you forgive me. But we're going to play some Christmas music today. So here's Rebecca Rubion with Yahweh from her new album, Christmas Lights.
That was Rebecca Rubion with Yahweh from her new album, Christmas Lights. And we're going to be speaking with Rebecca in our second half hour. But now, here's Stefan with our new Stefan dancing because he loves Christmas music in November, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> My favorite thing to do this At time At least it wasn't a traditional Christmas song. <laughs> so the Pope has confirmed that he will be traveling to? The United States of America. Philadelphia. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, we found out on Monday morning at a colloquium at the Vatican uh, Pope Francis announced at the end of it that he uh, has decided he is coming to Philadelphia for the World Meeting of Families. Okay. Um, and normally the Pope wouldn't announce this far ahead. Yeah. It's... But the reasoning behind this was basically that uh, in Philadelphia they were holding hotels, they were holding public sites, uh, and it just basically came down to the point where everyone was saying, you need to let us know if the Pope is coming. Right. So the Vatican then complied Interesting. and uh, made, made the uh, the news public so that proper preparations can get underway for such a major, major world leader to come to the city. Okay, but so even though people have been saying that it's confirmed that the Pope will be going to the World Meeting of Families in Philadelphia, it wasn't confirmed until Monday. Precisely. Archbishop Shapiro had been sort of privately assured that it would happen, but now it is very much official to the media, to the government, to the church, to everybody involved, the Pope is coming to Philadelphia. Okay, what's not official is whether he will be making other stops in the United States. Precisely. There are other stops rumored uh, to be taking place, but nothing is official as of yet. Okay, very good. So I'm sure that we'll be hearing a lot of that as we go. Um, uh, robots. Robots. The Vatican and robots. Killer robots, actually. Kill- oh, my gosh. Yeah, it, 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 it's actually a very, uh, very uh, difficult topic. Uh this week at the United Nations in Geneva, mm-hmm. uh, Archbishop Tomasi, who's the permanent observer there for the Holy See, uh, spoke uh, to a committee on the use of weaponized drones. So very often we're hearing about international conflicts taking place and drone strikes happening. Right. So the Holy See basically is encouraging nations to have a very important and very real conversation on the deadly nature of these devices, especially as you now see uh, some of these weapons becoming autonomous and that it doesn't even take a person anymore to pull the trigger. Okay. So uh, the Holy See really wants to encourage a very serious, very frank conversation before we get down a road where this is like, you know, where we find ourselves in a path of no return. So uh, for them, they they raised the issue uh, very poignantly to, uh, mm-hmm. the other day. Archbishop Tomasi was very straightforward about it, saying that the last thing we need is instability in an already unstable world. So when the Holy See puts out a statement like this, presumably they would like a conversation to happen? Yes, they would like a very open and frank debate on this topic. And this is with not just a particular government, with all governments that may be engaging in this type of warfare? Precisely, yes, because you have things like nuclear non-proliferation treaties, bans on chemical and biological warfare. Uh, How exactly this is ultimately tackled, the Holy See didn't... uh, at least this week anyway, announced their precise opinion on the matter. There were some talks earlier this year, but uh, they want, at the very least, this conversation to happen. Interesting. So, yeah, it's, I suppose, a very important ethical issue. 
Um, last but not least, a uh, big event in Chicago. I was there a week ago, uh, not exactly for the big event. I left before the big event happened, so they have a new archbishop. Yes. On Tuesday, uh, the third largest diocese in the United States installed its ninth archbishop, Blaise Supich. Uh-huh. Uh, he's native of Omaha, Nebraska, yes. and came to Chicago by way of the Diocese of Spokane in the in state the Washington. of Washington. Yeah. So there was a large mass that happened Tuesday uh, afternoon, uh, began with Cardinal George. George initially presiding, but as what happens in an installation, uh, the switch over. The switch over <laughs> happens after the reading of the papal bull yeah. uh, by the nuncio. Uh, the uh, the new bishop, or in this case, archbishop, is led over to the cathedral, where he's then given the crozier and officially takes over as the new bishop of the diocese. Nice. So officially now, Chicago has a new archbishop. And Cardinal George is golfing. <laughs> uh, Cardinal George, uh, I don't know what his plans are. He's dealing with some some pretty rough health issues right yeah. now, so that's probably going to be uh, probably be the the primary focus. And I'm sure, uh, given Cardinal George's 17 years in the diocese, yes. he will be uh, an absolutely invaluable resource to Archbishop Supich in his new ministry. Excellent. So congratulations to Archbishop Supich in his installment in Chicago. Thank you very much, Stefan, for these updates. Uh, you can watch Stefan Slovak's daily update perspectives Mondays through Thursdays on Salt and Light Television and online at saltandlighttv.org. Hi, this is Sean Carney with 40 Days for Life, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. I'm Deacon Pedro. Look me up on Facebook, and please come and say hello. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew, welcome back. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. I don't have to look you up on Facebook. I'm already friends with you on Facebook. Yes, that's right. (laughs) And a friend in real life, too. Uh, Yes, another week. Another week, another saint. So uh, this week in particular, we're going to look at the life of St. Andrew Dunlap. Okay, Vietnamese Yeah, Saint? Vietnamese, Vietnamese uh, martyr. And uh, it's not just St. Andrew Dunlap that we celebrate, but it's also St. Andrew Dunlap and Companions. Okay. All right. So Andrew Dunlap was one of about 117 that were martyred in Vietnam between the years 1820 and about 1862. Mm-hmm. So members of this group were beatified on four different occasions between 1900 and 1951, and all were canonized by St. John Paul II. How beautiful. Mm -hmm. Christianity, we know, came to Vietnam, uh, which technically was three separate kingdoms at that particular time through the the Portuguese. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No better people, uh, the Portuguese. Jesuits opened the first permanent mission at Da Nang in the year 1615, and they were responsible they basically ministered to the Japanese Catholics who had been driven out of Japan. So the king of one of the kingdoms banned all foreign missionaries and tried to make all of the Vietnamese deny their faith by jumping up and trampling crucifixes. So like the priest holes in Ireland during uh, what was then the English persecution, many hiding places were offered in homes of the faithful. Severe persecutions were launched three times uh, throughout the 19th century that we know of. During the six decades after 1820, we estimate between 100,000 and 300,000 Catholics were killed or subjected to great hardship. Hmm. So foreign missionaries martyred in the first wave included uh, priests from the Paris Mission Society uh, and Spanish-Dominican priests and tertiaries. Persecution broke out again in 1847 when the emperor uh, suspected foreign missionaries and Vietnamese Christians 
of sympathizing with a rebellion led by uh, one of his sons, interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, By 1954, there were over a million and a half Catholics, about 7% of the population in the North. Buddhists represented about about 60%, and persistent uh, persecution forced some 670,000 Catholics to abandon their lands, um, to abandon their homes, walk away from their possessions, and flee to the South. In 1964, there were still about almost a million Catholics in the North, but many were in prison. In the South, Catholics were uh, kind of enjoying the first decade of religious freedom in centuries, and their numbers swelled by refugees. So during the Vietnamese War, Catholics again suffered in the North, and again moved to the South in great numbers, and now the whole country is under communist rule. So St. Andrew Dung Lac, uh, we pray to him, and uh, we, we look to him as maybe um, an example of those people who are being persecuted for their Christian faith. We look at everything that's going on in the Middle East today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people you know, who just want to practice their religion freely. Yes. So, um, you know, we look to St. Andrew Dunlack, as well as, as, well as his 117 companions uh, who were martyred in Vietnam for their faith. Yes, I know. We, we think that Christian or religious persecution was something of the past in other places. No, it and uh, today. it's pretty easy to say that it's happened in the past, but no, um, it's happening right here, right now, in the year 2014, unfortunately. And uh, we take religious freedom for granted. Yes. We really do. Very uh, true. Even, you know, um, here in Canada. Mm-hmm. We do take faith for granted because, you know, we can practice it freely whenever we want, and then there's people who are fighting for it yes. and fighting for their life. Yeah, there you go. Thank you for so, depressing Andrew us. Dunlac, uh, feast day, don't want to forget that. Oh, yes. Is Monday, November the 24th. November 24th. So that's his Memorial Day. Okay, so St. Andrew Dunlac, pray for us. Yes, St. Andrew Dunlac and seven, 117 Companions, feast day, November 24th. Thank you, Andrew Santos. Andrew is our saint expert, and he's also the youth minister at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Unionville, Ontario. Hey, I'm Chris Stefanik, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can stay in touch with what's happening on this show by following me on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for... Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. Danny, welcome back to the show. It's, it seems like you haven't been on this program for a long time. I think I've missed you. Oh, same here. I'm so happy to be here with your audience. I know. We're, we're looking forward to, to your wisdom today. So there's no such thing as bad publicity, really? Well, I always say there's no such thing for the astute and the bold, empowered, and prepared communicator and that means communications professionals or CEOs or executive directors, priests, any kind of spokesperson, um, as long as they don't, you know, as long as you understand that, you know, there's never, there's no such thing as a perfect story. There's always in a good book and a good read and a good story and good relationships, there are ups and there are downs. Uh-huh. And so we have to have a long-term perspective. And if we can uh, address the issues, communicate honestly, and employ or, or deploy the corrective measures to improve, then that's very good, and that's a bonding exercise with people. Because people are uh, make mistakes, and so they can really um, identify with some most forms of mistakes. Right. Okay, let me... Uh, you're not just talking about someone saying something bad about you, which, in fact, is talking about you, so that's good because they're talking about you. You're talking about there's a scandal, and think of the worst priest sex abuse scandal, how do we come out of that 
spinning spinning that? Can we say that that's no. the right word? Spinning spinning is not the right word because it's got to be substantive, substantive, and deep rooted, and and sometimes, oftentimes, scandals um, they hurt people. Of course, they they, but that brings out compassion and hopefully sincere sincerity of caring for others, and also corrective measures, serious measures. Uh, whether it's with the USCCB scandal in the early uh, 2000s yes. or in Toronto and in different archdioceses have had these issues, of course. But that's how we build better programs. That it's not that we don't want to. We don't want these things to occur, but we must take all shortcomings, all weaknesses, and and build uh, better measures and and corrective measures to improve and listen. Now, no church, no institution, no organization is perfect. So we have to just work towards improvement and progress uh, with, with the utmost care. So it's not really spinning. It's being prepared to speak and take a hit and, and acknowledge uh, the, the true shortcomings and, and never try to whitewash or brush it under the carpet or minimize the damages. You know, in our life, unfortunately, Pedro, uh, Deacon Pedro, with, with what we see all around the world, there are travesties, there are injustices, and so, and so we really have to acknowledge those, and we are not immune, immune to those. Right, so what you're saying is that when there's damage, the damage usually happens because uh, people deny things or, or, they, uh, or they retract and do not, do not respond, rather than accepting it, moving, apologizing if you need to apologize. That's what you yes. mean. I mean, look at everyday people. Everyday people at the dinner table, they're aware that the world can be a nasty place in many instances. Um, and so they, and I'm, I'm talking about the worst atrocities. Uh, it, it, we all know that that, regrettably, is part of human nature. Yeah. Uh, but So we shouldn't, we have to really, um, it's going to hit us one sooner or later. In our families, we have issues. In our workplaces, and we have issues. And so we have to stand up, though, as a leader would, and right. say, and, and speak to the fact that, we will. We're we're going to do everything we can to work with those who have been grieved and hurt, and then um, not hide. And so it's it's so important for us to be prepared for those, and to uh, when that happens, we can't recoil right. and pretend that we that we uh, it's going to pass. Mm-hmm. It, it, what we should do is um, communicate, take the time to spend more time with media, more time with people who have been hurt, because sometimes people just go in war rooms or or. Uh, paranoia, who's on first base, and no one wants to grab the microphone, but it, when a real bad scandal hits, the, the head of the organization, institution, or church needs to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there. I'm going to be a, what I call a media martyr. I'm gonna, right. uh, sorry for the use of that word, yes. there's real martyrs all over the world, but a media martyr, uh, excuse the alliteration, just means being there, giving your time at dinner time, weekends, midnight, to do those tough interviews or, or consultations with people. Right. Very important. Um, we have about 30 seconds left, but I wanted to see if we can... I'm trying to think what would be a good example, and, and something that's not too too out there, but do you remember when uh, Dan Brown wrote all the stuff about Opus Dei? And, and would you consider that an opportunity or, or, or a situation where is that bad publicity for the church for Opus Dei and maybe uh, use that as an example to show how that could have been an opportunity? Yeah, I mean, you had millions of people reading the books and watching movies, and I think Father Tom Mozika, you know, Salt and Light, uh-huh. mentioned that it was a great teaching moment for the Church, and, and, and the Church and, and the institutions being attacked or perceived to be attacked 
need to say, you know, we have our own websites that we can control and educate people and set the record straight. We have our own spokespersons that can become little media martyrs and take those interviews on CNN or MSNBC or Fox right. News. And, and, and when we do that, we say, we're going to explain to you the truth uh, from our vantage point, here's uh, open arms, here's uh, the truth and transparency of our organization and why people uh, join us. And, and then that's, we're going to grow our enclave, our group of customers or audiences. Will, 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 um, they will know how to separate the wheat from you know, the, the garbage and say, you know, what's the truth? Well, we all know that media attack entities from time to time. Mm-hmm. People will give the organization the benefit of the doubt if they step up and take right. the mic. Okay, so that's good advice. Um, there's probably lots more. I know that you, we, Danny has written all this out. It's going to be posted on our website as, a, as an article. So, in fact, a lot of his, his columns are there as written out as articles. So you can find them at saltandlighttv.org slash radio under the Media Ministry Minutes tab. Danny, thank you so much. This is invaluable information and, and good advice. Uh, thank you. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. Danny Torquia is our public relations expert and the managing director of Torquia Communications. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Torquia. Hi, this is Jason Everett from ChastityProject.com, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I mentioned at the top of the show that many of our listeners are in the United States, and so that means that you do not have access to all our wonderful Salt and Light television programming. But you do. If you have internet, you can watch all our programs streaming live at our website, saltandlighttv.org. On that same website, you can watch most of our own programs on demand. Everything is there. But if you have Roku, we have to tell you that Salt and Light is now available on Roku. So if you have it, don't wait. Add Salt and Light to your Roku channel lineup, and you'll have access to many of our TV programs and also to our four Salt and Light radio music stations, plus a special channel dedicated to the Salt and Light Hour. So you can listen to this program, as well as featured segments from the show on the special Salt and Light Hour channel, now on Roku. You can get more information on our website, saltandlighttv.org slash Roku. Many of our programs are produced in the United States, and one of them is a wonderful film review show called Real Faith. If you love movies and you often read film reviews, then you should check out Real Faith with David DeSerto and Stephen Gradanis, who every week offer a Catholic perspective on the latest Hollywood releases. Watch trailers and hear what their resident film buff, Father Robert Lauder, has to say about the great films chosen by the Vatican. Real Faith begins airing on Salt and Light TV this Tuesday, November 25th, and will continue airing every Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, that's 5.30 p.m. Pacific. Check our online schedule for additional times at saltandlighttv.org schedule. Now coming up in our second half hour, Roman Catholic Apologetics with Dale Alquist and Rebecca Rubion talks Christmas, so stay tuned.
Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Now, maybe this never happens to you, but it happens to me all the time, especially during that family Christmas get-together where you get to you get your once-a-year visit with that relative who is a lapsed Catholic or a professed agnostic. Undoubtedly, they'll say something about Galileo or about the Crusades or about abortion or euthanasia. And what do you do? How do you respond? Wouldn't you want to have some reliable, factual information to counter their weak arguments? What you need is good, solid apologetics. And there are a lot of apologetics resources out there, but I must say, none are like Dale Alquist's latest book, All Roads, Roman Catholic Apologetics. This is a great book, and to tell us more and to give us some of those arguments, I am now joined by Mr. Dale Alquist. Dale, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Deacon Pedro, great to be with you. Thank you. So I am, I, can you tell, I am very excited about this book. Um, you're a Chesterton scholar, and I suppose we can talk about who Chesterton is for people who might not know, but why, why are you writing an apologetics book? Well, Chesterton was a great apologist. He was a great defender of the, of the faith, and I suppose from all that reading of Chesterton and being a convert myself and being someone who's gotten into all of these arguments that I talk about in the book, yeah. uh, it, was, it was time to put it all on paper. It, 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 it's really a combination of my own experiences in defending the faith and just dealing with the classic objections and the classic arguments against the faith. Okay, but you, weren't, you didn't set out to write, like, this is just another way to organize Chesterton quotes apologetics because it's very no seriously i i get the sense that this is very much uh, dale alquist this is very much a book about you yeah this is truly not a book about chester i just happen to quote him a lot <laughs> quote him because a lot, yeah. he is one of the great thinkers and i i do use him as one of my principal resources but as you know from looking at the book i also quote the church fathers mm-hmm. and even when i'm desperate i quote scripture yeah scripture yeah like a good a good a good protestant you <laughs> <laughs> you why, why, Okay, so Chesterton was a convert, so are you. Why was it important for you to begin the book by telling us your conversion story? Well, that's what happens from good apologetics. They, they make people think, and they, they lead them to uh, reconsider their own arguments against the faith. I started out very much as an anti-Catholic, mm-hmm. and I, I had to deal with, with first the intellectual issues before you, you get to the matter of the will, uh, which is how it, how it ends. But uh, it's, it's good to have at, at our hand the good intellectual resources to argue the faith using reason and facts. The, 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 I think that those of us who are not converts, we kind of take that for granted. Do you, it's almost like you need to be a convert in order to, to be a good apologist. Well, I, I think converts can be, uh, have an advantage in being good apologists, but all Catholics need to be better apologists. They, yes, Catholics do not know how to defend their faith, and no. that's, the, that's the problem. That's the problem. Now, um, was Chesterton part of your journey into the Catholic Church? Uh, he was the main part. <laughs> he was the one, really, who led me to the, to the doors of the Church, but I, I certainly read a lot of other things along the way, and the Church Fathers among them. But, uh, but Chesterton was the initial spark. He was the main guide, and he was the one who opened the door for me. Okay, because you were already in love with Chesterton before you became a Catholic. Yes, I, uh, I, I was like so many evangelicals. They, they are drawn to Chesterton because uh-huh. of his influence on, 
on C.S. Lewis and the yeah. fact that half of his writing took place before his uh, his own conversion. Mm-hmm. Now, you've uh, last time you were on the show, and, and this is probably, uh, people might know your last book, The Complete Thinker, we were talking about that. I know that you keep saying that Chesterton, one of the, one of the things you like about him is that he's a complete thinker. Um, what else do you love about Chesterton? Well, I think his great joy, Deacon, uh. his... Uh, his joy in living and expressing the faith. Uh, he is someone who is counter-cultural right now. Um, he is the one who is the sign of contradiction to the to the times we live in. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's so refreshing to hear his common sense when we have so much insanity around us. It's true. And he was also a bit of a prophet. Can I say that? <laughs> you can say that. He, that's absolutely accurate. He is someone... He's a prophet in both senses of the word. He he certainly saw what was coming and warned us against it and warned us to repent. But a prophet who speaks really the the divine message, that's that's the other thing a prophet is. He, he really does uh, convey the truth of God himself. Mm-hmm. Now, once somebody once told me, and it wasn't you, although I think you have said this as well, that the best place to start with Chesterton is actually to not read Chesterton, but to read Dale Alquist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope it wasn't me that said it, but I probably did. Uh, it, it really, my, my two introductory books are really good for the, that, that person who just doesn't know anything about Chesterton and can be very intimidated. Uh, from just picking up a a, a pure Chesterton. Okay, book. so if, that, uh, I ease the way in with my. Okay, my so if, so that that is a good suggestion. So if people want to know more and they're intrigued about this G.K. Chesterton person, go to the Chesterton uh, uh, American Society to the website, and I'll, I'll I'll put that on our site so you'll yeah, know where Chesterton. that is. Yeah, Chesterton.org. Um, yep. So that people can find it and find your books. Now, give me some of these arguments. And I was going through the book thinking, which is which two am I going to pick? And I, I think I want to uh, go with the, with the atheists and the, and the agnostics, because we all, at some point, and we know people, how do we deal, give us, give us the, the, the couple, arg- the pointers, how do we deal with an atheist who's got like the, the standard atheistic comments? One of the things about atheists is that they're, um, they represent about 1% to 2% of the population. They uh-huh. are just a really small minority indicating that their thinking is not normal. It's, it's not normal to not believe in God. Right. That's, so really, they're the ones who have to defend themselves. Uh-huh. Um, and the, the, next, the next thing you ask an atheist is, well, what, what is it that you do believe? You're, you're just taking a negative approach by saying there is no God. What do you believe? Get them, to, um, get them on the defensive, because they have to believe something. They have to explain how they're here and how... Uh, how they figure out the meaning of life, because everyone wants meaning in their lives. It's natural to believe there's an ultimate purpose to our existence. Uh-huh. And, and how, do they, how do they deal with a question that big? And then how do they justify, um, you know, really living an enthusiastic life that has no meaning mm-hmm. if, since there is no God? Right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so, 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 so come back to them with questions. Yes. Is what you're yes. saying. Uh, you know, we really aren't the ones having to defend ourselves in talking to an atheist. They have to defend themselves. That's right. That's good advice. So, and, and agnostics, y- y- in a way, y- you say, and I think Chesterton said this too, that agnostics, they're worse than atheists. It's a they more are de- worse than atheists. An atheist, to give the atheist credit, is actually someone who's taken a position yeah. and has made up their mind about something. And there's, there's a, actually some courage in the, 
in the decision they've made because they've made the decision of taking a universally negative position. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is, you know, t- if they think about it, it takes some takes some real courage. But the agnostic is someone with no courage and no convictions. They they refuse to take a position, hmm. and they're constantly backing up. Uh, and all they're saying is, I don't know, I don't know, and I don't know because the word agnostic is simply the Greek word for the ig- for the word ignorant in Latin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, agnostic sounds like a noble word, but ignorant, well, it doesn't sound quite as noble. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> right. So what are some arguments that an, an agnostic would have or, or, or statements well, the that they would make? agnostic, of course, is, is basically the skeptic. He's, he, keeps, he keeps throwing rocks at the position of someone who, uh, who believes something, mm-hmm. but they, you have to throw your rocks from an, an actual position that you're standing on. In other words, you have to have some convictions from which to even begin your doubts. Right. Because you can't doubt everything. If you doubt everything, Chesterton says, you essentially are falling through floor after floor of a bottomless universe. Right. You've got nothing to stand on if you doubt everything. So and if- basically all they're doing is doubting, and you can't even build, you can't build any philosophy that begins with doubt. So how, how do you deal with that then? Do you, well, you, you, get, you know, you do the same thing you do with the yeah. atheists. You say, okay, Asking what questions. is it that you believe? You must believe something. Right. Uh, and you, you get them to defend themselves. Yeah. And pretty soon they start realizing that they do probably have some convictions and yeah. they do believe something. Right. And, and then, then we, we take them from the things they do believe and we, we, we take them all the way to God. It's, it's, it's a wonderful process. Right. And in order to do that, it, it means that we need to know our faith. We need to know scripture. We need to understand what the church teaches. We need to know some history. <laughs> That's a lot. Of, we need to go back to school. Um, uh, and it's a pleasure to know these things. That's the other, you know, the, there's two reasons yeah. for studying these things. One's for our own edification and, and the building of our own faith. But, of course, the other is, it, this is how we defend the faith, is by knowing the faith. Absolutely. And a way that people can learn about all these things is to get the book, All Roads, Roman Catholic Apologetics by Dale Alquist. The, he, Dale, you deal with, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, atheism and agnosticism, absolutely, but with Islam, Protestantism, materialism, social engineering, environmentalism. I mean, everything is in this book, and it's not its not like lessons. It's nice little s- pithy stories and and it's short. You can. It's easy to read. It's a great book. So I encourage everybody to go and get it. Dale, thank you for sh- for writing it, for doing what you do, and for sharing it uh, a little bit of about it with us today. God bless you, Deacon. Thanks a lot for letting me talk about it. All roads go to Chesterton.org to get it. Dale Alquist is the president and co-founder of the American Chesterton Society. He is the author of G.K. Chesterton, Apostle of Common Sense and the recently published The Complete Thinker, a book that we featured on this program. He's also the publisher of the magazine Gilbert and the co-founder of the Chesterton Academy. As he said, you can learn more at their website, chesterton.org. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Rebecca Rubion, with What Child Is This? from her new album, Christmas Lights. What child is this?
That was Rebecca Rubion with What Child Is This from her new album, Christmas Lights. This past November 18th, Nashville-based artist Rebecca Rubion released her third album, a Christmas album titled Christmas Lights, and has launched a tour that has her singing Christmas songs all over the United States. The album includes eight tracks, four of them original ones, and if you're a fan of Rebecca's velvety, jazzy sound, you won't be disappointed. I get a new Christmas album every year, and this is definitely my pick this year. And so I am very happy to welcome Rebecca Rubion back as our featured artist. Rebecca, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Hi, Pedro. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a joy to talk to you. Thank you. You're so sweet. Um, Why did you want to record a Christmas album? Oh, gosh. Well, really, why not? I'm, (laughs) um, I'm such a fan of... Christmas uh, and also Christmas music and just that nostalgia 
mm-hmm. of those songs that we've all grown up with and um just the feeling of um the feeling of Christmas and kind of the um childhood memories and things that right. it it kind of evokes in me right and i've actually um just since the birth of my career uh steadily i've written christmas songs um uh-huh. just kind of through the years and I've always wanted a chance to put something together, but I thought, okay, you know, that definitely won't come around until later in my career. Right. And then um, signing with the label this summer, we were talking about just some opportunities uh, for Christmas songs, and um, they asked if I had any Christmas material, and I was like, I do. And so we just got in the studio in July, and cranked out another record in right. um, just a couple of weeks and so i've been ready to say merry christmas since july since july how how strange is that so you so the four songs that are your original ones you've been writing throughout the years you didn't sit Correct. down to specifically write for this album um i'm curious what was what, you grew up you grew up in alabama is that correct uh, that's correct i grew up in mobile and i was born in new orleans and that's really where both of my uh, sides well, of my family are right. uh, are from originally. What so. was what was Christmas like growing up? Oh gosh, well I'm one of five kids and I'm the second oldest, so we would always um, one of our family traditions is uh, listening to. Um, there are a couple of Christmas compilation records that my parents yeah have, and we would listen to those and um, all put up decorations, all seven of us, and right. um, my mom is like the typical American mom with like all of the little knickknacks and stuff she puts out for Christmas. So we did the real, we did real evergreen, we did real um, Christmas trees every year Mm -hmm. and we would use all of the spare branches around the house on the mantle. And so just a really um, beautiful kind of family gathering um, when we would all decorate the house together. And then, of course, Christmas morning is a little chaotic right. with all my siblings um, and extended family. And we always make a big Christmas meal on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom has her Christmas china and just kind of the all, all of those beautiful little traditions that um, we right. always did. So right. what were really the, special time. What were the compilation? What was the music that you were listening to? I'm curious now. Oh, gosh. Um, well, they were all classics. Like um, Nat King Cole stuff? Exactly, Bing Crosby? Yeah. yeah. I was just about to say, Nat King Cole was all over it. Yeah. Um, and Bing Crosby. Yes. And um, just kind of those, that era. Yeah. And um, I think even Cindy Lauper did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Winter Wonderland or, uh-huh. or one of those. Um but just a really, really great. I actually need to look up the name of That's the great. Um, compilation because I mean, I want my own copy. Yeah, um, you should. You should. Um, you picked so so the album, your Christmas lights album. You picked four classics: Silent Night, What Child correct. Is This, we, which we heard, Joy to the World, and Go Tell It on the Mountain. I'm assuming you picked those because you have some sort of connection to those songs. Why did you pick those four? Well. Um, it's hard to pick. It's hard to pick yeah. uh, when you're when you're trying to decide which Christmas cover songs to do um, for several different reasons. One, they're all so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you? Where do you start? Um, but also, just how do you do them justice? Mm-hmm. And 
which ones are the ones that you think you can make your own. Joy to the World was something that, um, especially my version of it, I kind of changed the melody just a a little bit and make it my own, I think, probably the most. Um, And that was a a cover song that I've been doing for years Mm -hmm. around the holidays. Um, So I did that one because I kind of already had it in my repertoire. What Child Is This? Um, I was trying to choose between that song and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Yeah. And I actually posted on my fan page on Facebook and asked the fans, which yeah. one would you rather me put on the record? And it was kind of a unanimous. Yes. I think only two people replied with Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and it was like over a hundred. Yes. Um, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you picked. Yeah. I'm so glad you went with What Child Is This? That, that's that's me too. Much better. Um, and then. Silent Night and Go Tell It on the Mountain, I just always, um, always love kind of the message of Go Tell It on the Mountain. Yeah. And then, in my opinion, I think Silent Night is the best song ever written, ever. <laughs> Amazing. Um, One of the things I love about Christmas is that all of a sudden we can listen to Christian music on secular radio. Do you, do you, do you see this album as a Christian album? I mean, you didn't pick Jingle Bells. <laughs> Um, it, it is, you know, it's a Christmas, Christmas, um, album and it's, it's very much, even my originals point to the meaning of Christmas, especially, um, for example, a lot to give is kind of about, it's not, not the material gifts that we have to give, but the love in our hearts and Mm -hmm. the joy and, um, Christmas lights is about the hope of Christmas. And kind of what those lights symbolize, right. you know, talk about the North Star and the the white glow of Mary's heart and um, Yahweh, clearly. And Yahweh, of course, is <laughs> yeah. about um, the reason we give gifts is because, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord gave us his son. And mm-hmm. what more could we ask? I mean, that's the perfect gift. And yeah. so, um, you know, these songs really reflect, I feel that the purpose of the record was to reflect the real meaning of Christmas and just kind of point people back to the heart of Christmas mm-hmm. um, in such a culture where, you know, we we are constantly being sold things, right. and here this is the perfect gift for your special someone, and, you know, all about the presents, they're all about the um, merrymaking, and, and, you know, less about why, right. why we're doing this in the first place, and so, you know, um, I'm really excited. I, I think it, I, I view all of my music as as ministry, whether mm-hmm. that's covert yeah. or overt. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. I also, yeah, I just want to bring people joy. Yeah, which is why I, I guess you've decided to take this on tour. So, just so that people know, you're going to be, you've already started the tour, but December 2nd, you're in San Antonio, December 3rd in Waco, Texas, December 5th in Dallas. December 6th in New Orleans, December 7th in Austin, Texas, December 19th, you're in Laurel, Mississippi, and then on December 20th, you're at home, Mobile, Alabama. So if people are in any near any of those cities, you should go for, a, treat yourself to a Christmas, a Christmas, a Christmas concert. Um, mm-hmm. w- I'm also playing Nashville December 14th. Oh, there you um, go. I miss Nashville. My, my home base here in yeah. Nashville, so that'll be a fun show. Excellent. Why did you want to do, I mean, I know t- tours, not all artists love touring. It's, a, it's, it, it's tiring. It's a lot of work. 
but you you call what you do ministry. So is that part of why you wanted to take this on the road? Well, um, that is definitely part of why. The other part is um, just whenever you release a record as an artist, you really want to tour right. on that record to kind yeah. of generate buzz, increase awareness, increase your exposure, and just get the record out there yeah, in course. the hands of people, not just on iTunes, um, but handing it to them and giving them the experience of that record right. in now, person. Is it, um, is it like a bonafide Christmas concert? You're doing these songs and other stuff? These songs, um, and I'll also mix in some some other originals yeah. from my other records. Right, right. And you're touring with a band, or...? Just me. Um, really? There are a couple of shows where I'll have accompaniment. Of course, in Nashville, I'll have um, some of my players come out for that one. And then in Mobile and Laurel, Mississippi, those are theater shows, and that will be a special jazz trio for those nice. two. Um, some really wonderful musicians uh, yeah. based in Mobile. And um, so that'll that'll actually be really unique and yeah. special, too. Nice. It's too bad. I'm going to be in Dallas December 20th. So can you change your dates no way. just for me? You can't change. Ah, I wish I could. I love <laughs> Dallas. I'm excited to get it. That'll be I fun. Wish, I, I wish I could play for you. Oh, well, one day it'll happen. Um, Rebecca, thank one. you so much. I love the, Well, I love what you do. I love this album. Like I said, this is my pick for this Christmas um, as, my, as my Christmas album of the year. So I hope people, uh, people also enjoy it. And, uh, and, and it's important that we you know, celebrate Christmas the way it should be celebrated. So thank you so much for, uh, for doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, and um, I, I just thank you for helping me spread the joy. Not a problem. You can find out more about Rebecca Rubion. You can buy her music. You can buy this album or book her to come to your event at her website, RebeccaRubion.com. Rubion is R-O-U-B-I-O-N, but I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Here now is Rebecca Rubion with the title track of this new album, Christmas Lights. Christmas lights signify all the hope that is there, all the love that we've shared through the years. Christmas lights, they delight in each gift we unfold, every story we've told with good change. Born and bright Love the night of that old North star Shine your light Like a white glow Of Mary's heart Oh my love You can see them Wherever you are I hope that you shine Tonight Christmas Let the peace rain down from every evergreen Christmas lights, what a sight When so many turn on And we 
You're listening to Christmas Lights by Rebecca Rubion from her new album of the same name. And that will take us to the end of our program this week. Next week, we're giving away a copy of Rebecca Rubion's Christmas Lights and also a copy of Dale Alquist's book, All Roads. So go to saltandlighttv.org radio and sign up for a chance to win. If you missed any part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at that same webpage, saltandlighttv.org radio. And that's also where we post links to our artists or guests. This show would not be possible without the support of our featured artists and all our guests, so go check them out and support their work. Also remember our partner radio stations, the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM, 129, the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, Holy Family Radio, the Lamb Radio Network, and the Baraga Radio Network when you're making your donations. And remember us too. This show is completely free thanks to donations, so please contact us to learn how you can help keep the Salt and Light Hour on the air. Our email is radio at saltandlighttv.org. You can also look me up on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, and I'm also on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. Every comment or message that we get will get you entered into our weekly draw for a chance to win great prizes from our featured artists or authors. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Oh, I-